Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome in, everybody, to a special Wednesday edition. Game and speak of GC Live. Talking Tuesday nights, National Signing Day is in the books for South Carolina. And because of that, that's why we decided to push the show back to Wednesday night. And it's a good thing we did because it was a day that a lot of people remember here in Columbia for quite some time. Let's get right into it, though. As always, intern Joe is with us. He's rocking the Shane Beamer shades. Oh, yeah, right. Hearing that. And joining us also, let's just get right to it. It's Gamecock commit He's in the car right now. That's why it's a little dark, but that's all right. That is Dante Reno, class of 2024 commit. And uh, Dante, let's just get right to it. I know he's not in your class, but guys like yourself, you know Pup, of course, for 2023, you guys stayed on Nicholas Harbor right from the jump, right from the jump. Um, I know that there's a lot of factors that go into a decision like this. I mean, shoot, you're going through it, right, as a, as a high school kid. So I bring this up because what does a day like this mean for someone like yourself, guys that were doing everything they could to get Nicholas Harbor to commit to South Carolina. Yeah, I think it was huge. Um, obviously, just Nick, congratulations to him and his family. Um, it was a big-time get for all of Gamecock Nation today. I'm sure every fan in the, in the country that is a Gamecock fan is going crazy right now. But it's just a big momentum shift that I think the 23 class, they already had a big – towards the end of their class, they had a big one. And I think the 24 class going on right now, I think we have also another big momentum shift. Um, and that's how, that's how kind of recruiting works nowadays. Like, you see somebody commit, and then you're like, oh – Maybe I should jump in, and then you jump in, and the next person jumps in. So, with Nick committing today, I think it's just it's just going to echo like a big a big wave around the recruiting world. I think, and I think a lot of people like in the comments of his commitment post today, I saw a lot of a lot of twenty four kids that were commenting on it with uh, Gamecocks and stuff like that. So it was it was huge, obviously, and yeah, like you said, I mean, Pup did a great job in the class um, of twenty three. Did a great job with Nick, um, and I think towards the end of it, um, some of the twenty four kids in our class also did a good job too. But Pup really led this one, and. Uh, him, Tree, um, Des, they did a really good job. Intern Joe, what's on your mind? What a day, Mike. What a day. I'm wearing my Drop Your Nuts um, shirt currently. Oh, time uh, out. Can we slow – so, one sec. I got to stop you there, okay? Okay. I got to stop you there. Intern Joe, when I look back, when your career is done in South Carolina, yeah. Gamecock Central and all that, and I hope that's not for a long, long time. One of my favorite memories with you. I had no idea who the heck you were. This was during the COVID era, Dante. And all the press conferences done via Zoom, right? Uh And I see this student reporter in his living room, 
and there is a wall of beer boxes on the wall and it's like bush i'm like who the hell is this guy intern joe what you see is what you get from him walks in to today's press conference with a drop your nut shirt um in true intern joe's fashion and you know what he's not doing it for attention that's just joe and this is why we love intern joe so intern joe i'm sorry continue this way i'm like i appreciate you you pointing that out i'm just genuinely excited and i happen to be out at lunch before uh, the press conference and wore this out in excitement for the day and then didn't have time to change might be the real story but you didn't hear it from me um what a day mike really honestly i wrote up a little story for gamecock central it's, it got published i think around five o'clock um about just kind of the reactions on Twitter and, and everywhere on um, from, from game cognition um, just on, you know, on the Nicholas Harbor signing, it's been huge. The outpouring has been absolutely massive and credit to Dante. Dante was on Nick hard him and Puck. Um, and I know Beamer couldn't really talk on, talk about Dante and the presser, but he certainly alluded to his efforts too. on just, you know, being able to, to reach out to a guy like that and stay on him. And, and, and Beamer said, you know, he talked to Pup this morning and Pup was like, we got him. And Shane was like, I, I, I certainly doesn't feel that way for me. So shout out to, to, to Dante and Pup and, and Big Tree for being able to recruit, you know, Nick behind the scenes and, and, and really like, you know, stick, stick South Carolina on his mind and, and, and be there for him. Really, you know, his future teammates are really the ones who got it done, it seems like. So credit to you guys. And what a day to be a Gamecock, Mike. <laughs> and real quick, I see a comment here. Um, Asking why someone's wearing sunglasses and why someone's in the dark. Dante is giving us time while he drives back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Intern Joe, if you've been following the program for the last couple months, this goes back to the comments that obviously were made going into the Kentucky game, right? Um, actually going all the way back to, to SEC media days and then Beamer threw the shades on. So um, I'm not even going to throw, I'm not even going to throw the comment up there, you know, uh, but just to address that, that, that is why, that is why. And again, Dante is driving back. Dante doesn't have to do this right now. So, you know, if you guys would rather, you know, tune in and, and watch the six o'clock news um, in the Columbia market and hear stuff that's already been said, have at it, or you can listen to Dante Reno. Um, I'd rather do that. So, you know, come on, give me the professional journalism crap. Get the hell out of here, Scott. Um, Dante, I do want to ask you this though. You know, you're, go you're going through this as someone, again, you know, you're invested into this program. You're going through this and you're and you're paying attention to it in a lifetime. I know you have conversations and have had conversations with Harbor. I know you've had conversations with other guys that are in your class in the class of 2023 as well. But you go through this and obviously at some point, you know, you're not going to be able to hear back from Harbor as much. What can you explain to us what today was like for you? Because in a sense, you were kind of just like a fan or a media member. You're probably watching on like the rest of us. Yeah, I think it was huge just for, obviously for me, because we had me, me and Nick were really close, um, just talking and stuff like that, especially throughout the summer um, when he was going on his OVs. And his recruitment was a little, little bit longer than most people's um, going into now. So it was obviously, it was huge. But I think towards the end of his recruitment and most people's recruitment, they like to keep things quiet. Um, with everybody they're talking to. It happened with Cam Pringle, um, happened with everybody. So I think it was obviously, I mean, he went to Oregon. Um, I'm sure he had a great time there, but it was a, it was huge for everybody, um, huge for me. And just obviously, like you said, like being a fan and just seeing Nick be able to, be able to do it the way he wanted. 
Looks like we're losing Dante a little bit again. Dante Reno, class of 2024, joining us. Uh, appreciate just the time that he's giving us right now. Um, and Dante, when we get when you get you back on, we'll we'll have you kind of continue to comment on everything. But look, I mean, and we'll get into it too with the recruiting prediction machine because I know there's a lot of people that are probably curious about that. We talked about it at the beginning of the week and how that that works. And I'm so glad that you know I asked Shane at the very end of the press conference today to kind of give us a look as to what was going on between that text message that he received or audio message, excuse me, uh, which is very funny if you haven't heard. I say funny now, but. Um, how he didn't understand how audio message worked and how he woke up and he didn't know if that was actually a dream slash nightmare or if it actually happened because the audio message just disappeared completely. Um, so we'll get into that as well. Um, I do want to ask this though, if you're, if you are there, Dante, uh, if you're back yeah, on back. with us, yeah, I got you. What has been the reception so far from either people that you have talked to that are already committed to South Carolina, um, whether it be 23, 24 classes, or just some of the guys that are out there. Have you had a chance to talk to some people that have not committed to South Carolina that are looking at USC and they're kind of just like, whoa, like what, this is, this is major. Yeah. I think it's the, the standard of the 23 class set is really high right now. Um, the, I think they're 16th nationally right now. And um, I think our class is seven or eight. Um, so I think it's just from the from what the recruits are telling me and telling other kids that are committed in our class, Cam, Wendell, and Michael, um, it's just they want to join too and help change the whole culture and whole of everything in South Carolina and be the first recruiting class to be top five or be top ten. Um, and they, I mean, a lot of kids in the 24 class, they want to come in and change everything with the 23 class and the 22 class that Coach Beamer brought in. So everybody that I'm talking to and that they're recruiting is all they're all bought in, um, and I think it's a it's a great way to obviously start our 24 class. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of commits in the next coming couple of weeks, the next couple of coming months. Intern Joe, for you, I know you've been down here the last couple months, um, obviously with me working remotely for most of it, back in Columbia, obviously for this week. But you, you've seen just the mood with Beamer, right? The ups, the downs. I mean, we, 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 we followed it all season long, right? And, and the momentum that they were able to create to end the regular season. I say all this because how would you compare, because I know you were there today with me during Beamer's press conference, how would you compare Beamer's mood today in comparison to some of the, the highlights we have seen over the last couple of months with South Carolina football? Mike, uh, I was actually kind of worried about it leading up to this recruitment, as wild as it has been with Nick's saga, if you will. I was kind of worried. I was sitting at home. I'm like, uh-oh, if he doesn't commit, Shane is not going to be happy. So um, I think Shaden was as lively as ever. Um, the, the energy that I got from him was proud. He was really, really proud of his staff and his team and, and also Coach Fry too. Shout out Coach Fry for being able to get, you know, the track side of things done. And, you know, Coach Fry talked a little bit and we'll get into that later about what he said and everything. But, you know, the energy I got off of Shane was that he was proud, you know, to, of his work, number one, and proud of his staff and everyone in the building. You know, it, it was a very full circle moment. You know, all everyone, you know, all hands in on deck. Um, and yes, he was a lot more lively than, than we've seen him before. And, you know, this is the first, the biggest recruit, arguably, in, in, in during his tenure. Um, so I think, you know, he's certainly excited about it. And yeah, Mike, his, his energy was great. Very, very good from Coach Beamer. I was worried about it if he didn't commit. I was I, I was almost afraid to ask a question if he didn't. But 
thank God, man. And all that hard work paid off. And, and you could certainly feel it throughout the building for sure. Dante, I know you've been asked this a million times and you're probably going to be asked this even more until your signing day and uh, going to get asked a lot of questions. But I think you understood that when you committed to South Carolina as early as you did before the start of your junior year. I, I think with the world that we live in with NIL, you know, it's so quick for people to be like, all right, he's only going there because they must be paying him. You know, I mean, it, it's it's incredible how a couple days ago, depending on where you were reading stuff, especially outside of the Columbia area, if you haven't been paying attention to the Gamecocks for the last year, year plus, I, I don't think a lot of people from a national standpoint, standpoint took South Carolina very seriously going into this recruitment. And then as we got closer and closer to Wednesday, and of course, you know, we'll get into it with the recruiting prediction machine, how those percentages um, went up and down, fluctuate a little bit. I think some people started to, to realize like, oh, shoot, like South Carolina is really in this. And now there's some, there's some, and it comes with the territory and Beamer addressed it today, that will assume South Carolina bought Harbor. Okay. Certainly that's, you know, not the case. But I bring that up, Dante, because as someone that has committed to this program and you're seeing firsthand and they're still recruiting you because it's it's a process until you actually sign. And again, we've asked you this before, but can you explain to people what is going on at South Carolina that has players like yourself, players like Nicholas Harbor, so determined that this is the place to be right now because again i think from the national standpoint people aren't realizing what's going on at usc yeah that's i mean that's a great question but back to like the whole nil point and stuff like that i mean that stuff is that's all when you play and that's that was the whole meaning of nil is you get the money like as you play and you build your own brand and stuff like that i mean buying players and stuff like that i know a bunch of other or some people also do that um, around the country and stuff like that but the biggest reason why I went to South Carolina, why I'm sure everybody else is committed to South Carolina, is the relationships that you build with the staff. They're second to none. I mean, in the country, I mean, Coach Beamer. I mean, he talked to my mom on Mother's Day last year. He's the only head coach in the country to do that, and he's the only coach actually in the country to do that. So it's just like the little things that he had, he does, and his staff does that I think make the whole recruiting process so much easier when you're deciding. Especially, I mean, for Nick too, and I'm sure everybody else. I mean, there's a there's a fine line of recruiting where you can see the real from the fake. Um, and I think Coach Beamer and his staff, he does a really good job of hiring the right people, and he has the right people in his program. And obviously, me being a coach's son, I can tell um, who's fake and who's real. And Coach Beamer, he's been real since day one. Um, and his whole staff's been, been real with me since day one. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people are starting to realize now in 24 class, and they did in the 23 class. So it's going to be really something special. I'm sure you're going to be excited regardless of what happened today. Uh, South Carolina moves up now to number 16 in this year's recruiting class. One of the highest they've had in quite some time. Over 50% blue chip players. That's the first time that's happened since 2014. I'm bringing these things up, Dante, because, again, regardless of what was going to happen today, the buzz, the excitement, it was going to be there. Would it have felt like a gut punch to some people? I'm sure. But the fact that it worked out the way it did and Harbor's going there, how much more excited are you now to get to South Carolina? Again, I'm sure you're going to be excited regardless, but the fact that it happens now, there's going to be more of a spotlight on USC. Yeah, I think there is. And obviously, I mean, players want to play with great players um, and they want to recruit the people that they want to recruit. And the relationships that we have with Nick um, that he built with the players on the team and the recruits and all those people. Um, I mean, he had a really good relationship with Cam Pringle too. 
So it's just mm. the relationships that you're going to have with those guys. And it's going to be like, it's crazy. Like the relationships that you have with them now is going to last forever. Um, and they're going to be your best friends throughout college. And on a, on a random Tuesday night, you might go to the facility with them and go watch film and go chop it up, be in the dining hall or something like that. So just the relationships that you build um, with them and that the staff is kind of really harping on to have within their program, um, that culture that Coach Beamer is building and he talks about all the time is love. Um, and it's real. And it's real with the, the, the recruits, um, with all the group chats that we have and everything along those lines. Um, so it's what he's building is going to be really special. Someone asked, you know, <laughs> I know he can't speak on it, but I wish Dante could say if his buddy Mazio is a welcome home. Yeah, he can't talk about that one. Um, we'll be able to kind of talk about the conversations that you've been having with, uh, well, cause I want to ask you this. Obviously Mazio has not gone public with what he'll be doing quite yet. I know that you have been in conversations with him. I know you've been in conversations with a lot of these players, especially just mentioned with Cam Pringle, the guys that have committed to South Carolina publicly, especially that class of 2024, which is shaping up to be absolutely incredible. I mean, what five, five, four stars already, four, four stars, something yep. like that. Uh, Dante, I bring that up because, again, not to put this to, to the side, but I know we only have you for a couple more minutes. The way that 2024 class is looking, my goodness, so special. Um, can you tell us some of the things that you've been trying to do and some of the other guys in your class, especially the ones that have now committed and how they're probably trying to do what you've been doing, which is recruit even more for that class? Yeah, Cam's doing a great job of recruiting the two alignment that I think everybody knows, Josiah and Blake. Um, so he's doing a really good job with that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, back to the Mazio, I mean, that's that's his deal. He's going to commit whenever he wants to commit. Um, I mean, we've been in talks and stuff like that. But, I mean, we honestly have no idea where he's going to go right now. And, obviously, that's my guy, and I've been recruiting him really hard. I know Cam's been recruiting him really hard, too. So um, we obviously hope he comes to South Carolina. Um, but his recruitment, uh, he, just, he had just decommitted a couple months ago from Tennessee. So we'll see where mm -hmm. that goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, the 24 class, like you said, um, we're trying to be the best one ever in South Carolina history. And I think we're on track to do that right now, but it's just about building relationships with the guys so that when they do come down to that final commitment day, um, they know it's South Carolina. So, I mean, Cam's talked to probably 20 people a day. I mean, I talked to a bunch, Wendell and Mike are doing a great job too. So, um, it's been, it's been really something special, um, especially on a group chat too. It's been, it's been awesome. You mentioned that you're talking to these guys a couple times a day. I know right now it's a little bit different, but I mean, shoot, we, we asked you during football season and it was obviously much different than the summer. What is it like for you on a typical day uh, or at least, you know, the last couple of weeks when it comes to recruiting? Because obviously you're juggling a bunch of things. You're, you know, off season training, you're finishing up with school, of course. But at the same time, too, it sounds like this is like a, a part time job for you, right? I mean, you you do what you got to do, football standpoint, school wise, and this is your side gig. This is your, you know, this would be like someone investing in a, in a company in a couple of years and they're trying to build it all up. This is what they're doing as a side hustle. Yeah, I mean, it's been great. I mean, obviously, got to do the football stuff, so we work out two times a day with our team and we throw. Um, so all that stuff is getting taken care of. But yeah, like you said, this is. This is something that's really important to me. It's really important to the class and the school. I mean, you have to recruit the right type of kids, and you have to recruit them at the right time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've been getting into more of the video game stuff. So, I mean, I don't know if anybody saw but me and Blake. Me and Blake were playing Fortnite the other night. So, shout out, Blake. We got our first dub, first game we played. So, um, it's just the relationships that you build with those guys. And it's just easy when you can do stuff like that, um, especially when, obviously, I'm from Massachusetts and Blake's from South Carolina. So, you can just – 
easily just hop on a game in Fortnite or something like that, get on a FaceTime call with those guys, um, just really connect and just get to know them more than just like a football level. Because um, I feel like that's what that's what makes the most sense for all of us. You mentioned Massachusetts, you know, and, and people are going to downplay this, but Dante Reno, what a what a trooper to come on today. It's not an easy day. Everyone thinks it's all sunshine and rainbows because Harbor committed. You know, he's a Brady guy. It's it's tough on all of us today. So, Dante, I appreciate you, you battling through it because I know emotionally it is it is a tough day for you there. So we appreciate you, man. Yeah, Tom Brady, it's, it's, it's all right. We'll get through it. Dante, I did have one question before you go, man. I know we yes. talked last week about, you know, the importance of recruiting guys. And I guess now today you're kind of seeing some fruits of your of your labor, if you will. It's starting to see some some results. I guess how does that feel? Yeah, it feels great. I mean, obviously Cam, when that when he when he committed, that was huge. And then uh Wendell and Mike, I mean, they've been they've been great since day one. Um they've been quiet for a little bit, but obviously when they announced it was huge and the momentum that we have in the 24 class right now, I'd say, is great. Um, everybody they talk, everybody we talk to, um, and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure people will be like, "Oh, like I can't believe South Carolina is actually talking to that kid," or "I can't <laughs> believe they got the number one tackle in the country." But it's true. Like the momentum that we have right now is, is something special. Um, and I think you can only get it at certain parts of the year. Um, and it's when people commit and stuff like that. So we're on that we're on that trip uh, that train right now. Um, and we'll try and keep it going. Dante, what's the next couple of weeks looking like for you? In yeah, terms so of training think, and everything else in between. Yeah, so it's a dead period right now. Um, so we can't go visit South Carolina or go to practice or anything like that. So we'll go back down there in March. Um, and I think the four of us are going to try and meet up there and go to a practice and stuff like that. But right now we're training. Um, we have team lift six forty-five in the morning, and then uh, I usually either work out at Yale or I throw my quarterback coach in the afternoon. So it's a it's a packed schedule with school and stuff like that. But you got to love what you do, and um, it's been great for me. So. Um, it's been awesome, awesome offseason so far. I know we've talked about it, but for the people that haven't heard, because like you, know, like you said, your father, of course, head coach at Yale, and you've been able to get to know guys over there. One of those guys I'm sure you've been able to build relationships with is one of the newest offensive linemen through the transfer portal, Nick Argiulo. Mm-hmm. Big boy, captain of the team last year, which says a lot when you're the captain of Yale and they only have one captain each year. What can you tell Gamecock fans what they can expect? Because from all the conversations I've had with South Carolina coaches or people that are close to the program as well, they expect this guy to come in there, compete for the starting center spot. I know he's played other positions on the offensive line during his time over at Yale. But, you know, what what can you, you tell us about Gargiulo? Yeah, like you say, he's a, he's a captain of Team 149, which is the team last year. Um, and they only have one captain every year. And him being a captain, him being um, from Northeast, part of the part of the country um new jersey so he's he's a really tough player um he's really smart he called all the protections for the line last year um he's just a really good person he fits in well with all the players um him and the florida transfer they're like they're like best buddies so when i was down there hanging out with them um we were all watching the jaguars game and stuff like that but no nick's just a really good person um he's gonna be a great fit for coach beamer um and everything that they want to do um leadership wise and both on and off the field um so he's a He's a really good dude. He's gonna he's gonna do great things, and um, I hope he gets a chance to play. But he knows he has to go out there and earn it. Um, so that's the biggest thing. Is he's, he's gonna be fun to watch. Last question, because I'm trying to squeeze this in before you have to get off. No worries. This will be the last one. Dal Loggins. He's been there for a short period of time, and as I've said many many times before, many times before, at the end of the day, he will ultimately be judged for what he does as a play caller. I think we all understand that. But as we know with college football, it, there's more that goes into it than just that. In the time period in the offseason, and especially since he arrived back in December, 
it seems like he has done practically everything right um, in Colombia. Can you kind of give us a, a look behind the scenes in terms of, you know, some of the conversations that you guys have had and just the immediate impact he's had, because you think about recruiting, you know, obviously you talk about a guy like Nicholas Harbor and some of the offensive players, if you guys aren't connecting with the offensive coordinator, if you guys aren't seeing the same way that he's seeing the vision, uh, I'm sure it'd be real easy to say no, but that's not the case here. Yeah. Dow's a great person. First of all. And when he, when coach Beer hired him, um, I was actually the first person got in contact with him. Um, we texted and stuff like that. And we got on the phone and, his biggest thing was relationships. Um, I mean, he was in the NFL in the league for I think it was 17 years. Um, and he coached guys mm-hmm. like Connor Shaw, um, Johnny Manziel. He coached Tony Romo, so he coached all those guys. But they're all different. And um, the way that he sees quarterbacks, just fitting the offense to what they have. Um, it's not really fitting the offense to what the offensive coordinator wants to do. Um, so like the personnel and stuff like that. I think it's gonna be really special what he's gonna do. Um, he's really he's a really smart guy. I mean, the first meeting we had, we just talked ball the whole time. Um, I think that was really, really beneficial for me to see, and especially for, obviously, my dad to see um, and stuff like that. But it's going to be really cool what they're going to do offensively. Um, I obviously don't want to give too much away and stuff like that, but um, it's going to be really cool. Spencer's going to be – he's going to be just fine. I mean, I think that's a big reason to why he stayed um, is obviously Dow and his NFL background and stuff like that and obviously getting juice back too. So um, Dow's going to do a great job. He's a great person. He's been great with me since day one. So um, I can't wait to play for him and everything he wants to do. Well, Dante, stay warm. I'm going to be getting back up into Massachusetts on Friday, right in time for that lovely cold front that's going to be bringing negative degrees with the wind chill and all that. So yeah, bundle great. up, buddy. I'll be I'll be battling it there with you. But uh, we appreciate you hopping on today. Awesome. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Bye, Dante. Bye. All right, Dante Reno, quarterback, class of 2024 oh, commit. A lot of great stuff there. And again, obviously the big story today, Nicholas Harbor committing. And not to be not to be forgotten. Okay, Elijah Codwell as well. Very talented wide receiver. The numbers that he's put up over the last two seasons, my goodness, my goodness. And he's coming from the Rock Hill area too. It's not like he was just playing for, you know, um, TikTok Tech. I mean, he's coming in high level of football, high level production. And it's another local kid that, that Shane Beamer made sure that they didn't lose out on the state of South Carolina. So I bring that up because, again, there's no question, there is no question that the commitment to Nicholas Harbor, that's going to steal the headlines. No question about it. And there's a lot of other things, too, that Dante Reno brought up that we can get into in a little bit, intern Joe. But I want to bring up Caldwell as well. I want to pull up some of these numbers here because, like I said, what Caldwell has done, especially over the last two years, it's very, very impressive. But last season alone, too. These are his numbers at Northwestern High School, okay? Last year, 1,300 yards receiving, 77 receptions, 20 touchdowns. The year before that, 15 touchdowns. So, again, I understand that, especially when you look at South Carolina's class right now, all the four stars, five-star now, of course, with Nicholas Harbor, over that 50% mark when you talk about blue chip players, which again has not happened since 2014 with South Carolina. But as we've seen, especially over this last year, and I'm not saying that Caldwell has to go out there and do exactly what Nick Eamon Worry did, but you think of guys like Eamon Worry, you think about guys like DQ Smith, you think about some of these players who maybe, maybe were overlooked a little bit coming out of high school. DQ Smith right there, three-star, right? And look what both those guys did this year. 
So I say that because, again, that's not saying that Caldwell has to go out there and be a freshman All-American or, you know, SEC this. That. No. What I'm saying is if his guy is able to come in here and make any type of impact, especially quickly, but if he's able to make any type of impact where it goes to show, hey, it's not about the fact that he was a three-star. It's about the fact that Shane Beamer is making damn sure Damn sure that if there's good talent, regardless of their stars, right? Five, four, three. And I mean, shoot, I guarantee you, I'm not looking in the comment section right now, but it seems like anytime, anytime we talk about three stars, you know, obviously we're talking about in-state talent here, but anytime you talk about three stars, how many times do people say, oh, DJ Swearinger, oh, Connor Shaw. Beamer understands that. Beamer was here during that. So again, I say all that, I say all that because I think Codwell, again, it's going to get overlooked today. Very, very, very good pickup for South Carolina. No yeah. question about it. Absolutely. And Shane, you, I mean, you heard him in his presser today. He said, Elijah Caldwell is just scratching the surface on how good he can be. And I think if you look at his high school numbers, it proves that, you know, he is a very underrated recruit. And I think he can really get in. Uh, <laughs> he can get in in the program and really do some damage once he adjusts to the to the playbook and everything. And I like the comment about the Brian Edwards comparison because yeah, I think that that that's probably the ceiling for Elijah Caldwell. And it's big too coming out of Rock Hill. We know plenty of athletes that came out of Rock Hill that have played at this fine university that have turned into something. So I think you know there's so much upside with Elijah Caldwell. It it it's, it's it was a hard it was hard not to take him. You know. And yeah, Mike, there wasn't as much drama behind his commitment and everything because he, he committed a little earlier than Nick did. And obviously Nick is the higher ranked recruit, but yeah, it's still so, 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 so important for the Gamecocks to get him as well and just more firepower out on the edge. Big day for, for Spencer Rattler, at least, in the quarterback room in terms of weapons moving forward. Um, so yeah, I think, I think Caldwell's a big piece. It's a very high ceiling. It will be able to do some damage coming up here, here forward. I do want to double check on something because I'm, I'm reading you guys in the comments section, but it appears that South Carolina has had some more news today. One that kind of went under the radar because it's being posted by the Gamecocks official Instagram account. Now, again, I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more so we get a full confirmation, but it appears that South Carolina has landed D'Angelo Gibbs, a transfer from Tennessee. Now, Gibbs, Gibbs is a receiver, six foot one, 200 pounds. He was a former four-star, former four-star. And he entered the portal with Tennessee back in May of 2022, right before the start of the season. Um, so I'm reading all this because, again, this is this is the first I'm seeing it, um, and I just want to make sure that what I'm saying is accurate before we put it out there. But it appears, based off of at least according according to South Carolina's official Instagram account, and I'm sure they've posted it on the Twitter page, their Twitter page as well. Um, all right. Nothing there yet. Um, if we get any confirmation, and I'm going to continue to check with the guys I work with, Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell. Wes is probably driving on back 
from DC. Big shout out to Wes. He might be listening to this on his way back. Did an outstanding job of being up there today at, at uh, Harper's High School to cover that. If you haven't heard the interviews and everything that 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 took place that Wes was able to gather, outstanding stuff, really good intel. Definitely check it out on Gamecock Central's YouTube page. Um, again, if you're just joining us, of course, the big news today, Nicholas Harbour committing to South Carolina, the highest rated commit so far, so far in the Shane Beamer era, but, and also Elijah Codwell, wide receiver from the Rock Hill area, but it appears, it appears that South Carolina has landed D'Angelo Gibbs, transfer wide receiver, last played with Tennessee. Um, and it looks like South Carolina has just posted what they posted on Instagram on their Twitter account. So I want to double check that. Um, see if we can get any more information about it. Because, again, this is one of those that, that could have just kind of flown out of the, under the radar. Um, South Carolina has posted on Twitter now. It looks like it is one, two, three, about four or five tweets in a row, six. And it says, welcome newcomers. So that includes the transfers. That includes Nick Gargiulo, who we just talked about with Dante Reno from Yale. That includes Eddie Lewis. That includes uh, high school commits like Babalade, Zakari Sandy, obviously Nicholas Harbor. But as I also read through this, it appears that they have landed D'Angelo Gibbs as well. Um, now, one more thing I do want to make note of for people that aren't familiar with G D'Angelo Gibbs. He started his career. He started his career off at Georgia. Again, former five-star commit. Okay, Former five-star commit. Um, entered the portal. Back in May. So he was not with Tennessee this fall. Um, I believe he has one year of eligibility remaining. I will double check on that because again, this is this is news to me. So we're just we're all we're all learning about this together. Uh, he actually committed way back uh, to Georgia, I believe it was in 2017. Um, but he was not listed, did not play in any games. He also did not play in any games for Tennessee during the 2021 season. Um, so perhaps, perhaps he has two years of eligibility remaining. I'll have to go back and double check. Um, I mean, shoot, 2017 feels like it was years ago. So probably just one more year of eligibility in turn. Joe, I don't know if you're, you, you, are, are you seeing anything? Uh, the latest on Gibbs, no, other than what you've already brought up. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he, I've, I've looked at a little bit of his tape. I think he can be an impact guy. Like another one of those guys, like um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on the guy from Memphis's name, but another one of those Eddie guys. Lewis. Eddie Lewis, yeah. He, like a player like Eddie Lewis, you go get him from the transfer portal that has a really high ceiling and could explode or, you know, could get, get beat on for a job in camp. I think, you know, you, you might as well take a chance on a guy like that. And um, Same, same deal with Gibbs. And I mean, playing at Tennessee is big to get, to get him out of the portal is huge. Um, so Big odd if everything's true. I don't yeah. know if it's my Boston accent because, guys, look, you're yeah. gonna have to bear with me. I've been up, I've been up north the last couple of months now, so the Boston accent, Yale, like, is it coming across as like a Boston accent? Yale, 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 
Well, another reason why I didn't get into Yale um, with the Boston accent on it. Um, yeah, Gibbs is Gibbs is part of this class, um, and it, it's it's great. Uh, Big Red asks, shout out to Big Red, loyal Yale. As <laughs> Jeffrey yeah. says, Yale, uh, Yale. Um, is Harbor as ready to start at class? Well, the interesting thing about Harbor is, and from listening to Beamer today, because going back over the last couple of weeks, intern Joe, we talked about this on the program. Yep. There was a lot of conversations as to whether or not he'd be playing on the offensive side of tight end or if he'd be playing on the edge. And it seemed like the last couple of weeks, it's been leaning more to the, the fact that he wants to be on the offensive side. Now, instantly you think of, okay, tight end edge. But as Beamer said today, it looks like he also could be in the mix for playing receiver. Now, I'll say this. We've seen over, I'd say the last decade, really. Um, you know, you can go back to when Gronk was playing. And I use Gronk as kind of that mark, the beginning of Gronk's career. That's not saying there wasn't guys like Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates. But what I'm trying to get at is the the position itself has really evolved, right? You think of Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Travis Kelsey is listed as a tight end. But, I mean, he's used more as a receiver. I mean, he's, shoot, he's second all time in a lot of these receiving categories when you're talking about playoffs. So I'm using that because, you know, with Harbor, because of his skill set, because of how fast he is, and that's not saying that he doesn't have the ability to block if needed to, but I feel like they'll use him more if if they list them as a tight end, I feel like they'll use him more as a receiver, if that makes sense. You'll see him more detached from the line of scrimmage. I also don't rule out the possibility of seeing him play a little defense. Um, again, we'll have to wait and see how things play out for South Carolina. Uh, we know that going into this season, and depending on how certain things play out, edge is a position that they're going to be a little, I, I don't want to say weak at, but they're not going to have proven depth. That's the phrase I always like using here, right? Proven depth. Um, even if Jordan Strong, which it appears to be that he is on track to return and that the NCAA will grant that, grant that waiver, as I've said before, going into last season, Jordan Strong, I, I had him as the guy that I thought was going to finish first in sacks. A year later, it's not that I don't believe in him but he's coming back from an ACL injury. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, it's not from a physical standpoint that I'm concerned about with him. It's more that mental standpoint. Um, that's not calling him mentally weak or anything, but just those lower body injuries, you're thinking a lot. If he can overcome that, man, what a get. What a get South Carolina will be able to have in terms of filling those voids. So I bring that up because I don't rule out the possibility of Harbor playing defense in some capacity. But it appears, based on the conversations today that we heard from Beamer, that Harbor will be playing on the offensive side. And we also know this, too. He's not going to be throwing on all this weight. I mean, he's going to be doing track and field. We heard from the legend himself, Curtis Fry. I mean, the impact he had. Again, Beamer, Sterling Lucas, Jody Wright, Taylor Edwards. Just go down the list. The impact this coaching staff has had. And obviously, I mean, shoot, Jessica Jackson and, and the entire recruiting department, outstanding. But it should not be overlooked, the impact that Curtis Fry had. He's coached 28, 28 Olympians. Of that 28, 14 have won medals at the Olympic Games. So I bring all that up because with Harbor, 
we know he wants to stay probably somewhere around that weight. He'll probably gain a little bit more weight in terms of, of, of muscle, but it's not like one of these things where it's like, all right, if he's an edge and granted, you know, you have edges that, you know, aren't the biggest guys in the world, but obviously got to have a little bit of size to you. I wouldn't expect him to come in here and throw on a, you know, 20 pounds. It's just not going to happen because it just doesn't feel that's the direction that he wants to go. Because again, it's not just about football form. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I think with a guy with that kind of size and speed, you can't not get him the football, right? It would be dumb not to get him the football. And Beamer said that today, you know, he's like, it would be silly if we were to have him with his hand in the ground and blocking 50% of the time like a tight end does. So I think, you know, you're gonna not, I don't even want to compare him to Jaheim Bell because he's going to get the ball a lot more than that. Um, and so – it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what exactly they do with him. And Dowell's going to have – I'm sure Dowell's going to have a lot of fun putting a guy like that in <laughs> offense. Like, I, I would – I mean, personally, Mike, I would have so much fun just drawing up play after play, you know, around a guy like that that's that fast and that big. And, you know, that's, that's why he's as highly rated as a recruit as he is. And, you know, I think that was kind of the attitude. You're right, Mike, in the building that he was going to play more offense simply because his speed and – and his, you know, the threat to opposing defenses is just too much versus him playing on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I think there's there's a chance you get – like, he's a dynamic playmaker. You get him the ball in space and he's gone. You know, arguably one of the best sprinters in the country too. And like you said, shout out Coach Fry because this kid quite possibly is going to be an Olympian. You know, um, and that's, that's on the horizon too. And, you know, he's not going to have to gain any weight. So he probably won't be playing tight end or blocking as much as he normally would mm-hmm. at a tight end. So I think it's huge. And like, like I said, the, the baseline here is you want to get a guy of that caliber, the football. It's plain and simple. Like you need to get a guy like that with that kind of speed, the football, because he's going to do really, really good things with it. And when you have a quarterback that can make throws like Spencer can and, you know, even Doty or next guys up, Dante, whoever you got to get that guy to football because he's going to make plays out in space and make guys miss because he's a dynamic playmaker and can really do it all. And now if you were to have room for him on defense, sure, mm-hmm. fine. But you, you also don't want to exhaust him. But one thing that Fry brought up that I thought was really, really interesting is that his that Nichols had, or Nicholas's track background is leading to better stamina for him. Like he is in shape already for football. He's already in football shape and he has been running mm-hmm. things – like his workouts that he is doing now are, you know, put him in better shape than some of the guys they have already on, you know, on the track team and in the football facility are, are already. So, you know, his conditioning is not going to be an issue whatsoever for either. And intern sport. Joe, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought it was very interesting when Fry mentioned that just tracking how many yards he's run this year in comparison to last year, um, including obviously football. So I say all that because you're talking about two sports. And I think what gets overlooked sometimes is the fact that at the end of the day, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the greatest athlete in the world. I don't care. I mean, it doesn't matter. At some point, you got to realize like, hey, uh, this is a human. This is a human. Like everyone has limits and you need to be able to protect that. So I say that because Fry mentioning all that, Fry bring up the fact that he's able to track how much he's going to be running in football and how much he can push him from a practice standpoint for track. It's absolutely outstanding. And one thing too, 
that I thought was interesting that Fry brought up is how during this recruiting process, because you got to think about it, it works hand in hand for uh, football and track. Fry has to make promises or say certain things to a recruit. Obviously, in this case, it's Harbor. And he said in the past that it wasn't as simple as just being able to pick up the phone and talk to the head football coach. Sometimes you'd have to talk to a positional coach. Sometimes you'd have to talk to a secretary. And then eventually you would talk to the head coach. He said that with this, he was able to make promises to to Harbor. He was able to say certain things to Harbor. And he was able to pick up the phone and talk directly to Shane Beamer. Again, that might not seem like a big deal, but when you think about it with not just track and football, baseball and football, just two sport athletes in general, you need to have both coaches be on the same page. And with this, they were on the same page and it's just absolutely outstanding. Uh, One thing I do want to mention, we're going to, we're going to hit a quick ad read here. Um, Chris Clark, our colleague, He's looking into the D'Angelo Gibbs situation. Not sure if it's a scholarship situation or not. Um, So if we're able to gather more information, we will provide that for you. But it appears, according to, according to Gamecock Central, I mean, (laughs) Gamecock Football, you can tell it's been a long day, Gamecock Football's official Twitter account that D'Angelo Gibbs, formerly of Georgia, formerly of Tennessee, former four-star wide receiver, has committed to South Carolina. With that being said, in turn, Joe, let's hit a quick ad read. Yeah, absolutely. So our first advertiser or the main, the title sponsor tonight is Clint Hammond at the Rocket Mortgage Network, the Movement Mortgage Network. Get your mortgage with our guy, Clint. He's the best at what he does. He has helped out our good friend, Perry Orth, with his mortgage and has helped him greatly. His phone, you can reach him at 803 576-4450. Once again, that number is 803-576-4450. And Mike's got your next one for tax ID. Yeah, tax season, it is right here. I mean, look, intern Joe, you always got to be ready for tax season and, you know, start adding everything up and you start dealing with all these numbers. Well, look, Guys over at Liberty Tax, they're going to be able to help you overcome tax anxiety. Give them a call at 803-462-5576. Intern Joe, he's growing up, and before you know it, he's going to be just regular Joe, and he's going to need to be more professional. He's going to have to take care of all this big money that he's going to be making. Joe, give them a call. Liberty Tax, they'll be able to get you right. Um, I want to continue some of these conversations that we were having a little bit earlier, Intern Joe. One thing I, I brought up, was the RPM. Um, I hope we can have the video played. I know I didn't talk to you about this, but I want to see if we can get, I actually have it on my end. I can actually play some of it and we'll see if it works. Um, But one thing I thought was interesting because look, when we have, um, when we have the, RPM, the recruiting prediction machine. I think a lot of people were, were paying attention to it over the last couple of days, really. And they see those numbers go up and down, right? The percentage and how it fluctuates. As I mentioned at the beginning of the week, the best way to describe it, just to dumb it down, okay? It's kind of like a forecast when you're getting ready for rain. As you get closer to that exact date and that exact time, it's going to be more accurate. And you will see those percentages fluctuate. Now, Obviously, last night, I'd say probably about what, 24 hours ago, around this time, 
it looked like South Carolina was running away with it. Okay, it was around 40%. I think it was something like that. Then at some point this morning, Oregon was around 40%. So I, I just want to throw this out. Now, granted, I don't work with the RPM. I don't work with the recruiting prediction machines, all that kind of stuff. Um, the reason why that stuff went up and down, Shane Beamer gave us a little look into it this afternoon, talking about it. He received an audio message. He received an audio message. And that audio message was saying like, hey, coach, you know, again, I don't know the exact, but based on what we, you know, Shane said, that things were heading in the opposite direction for South Carolina. So I don't know what took place other than what Shane Beamer said to us. And, you know, and I think Gamecock Ryan, he said Oregon got as high as 66%. I don't know what took place between 2.57 a.m. and I'd say around noon. I'd say around noon because according to, to Shane Beamer, it was around that noon time. And I'm just from talking all Eastern time here. I know we're dealing with a West Coast team. We're talking Eastern time here. I don't know what transpired between that other than the conversations that Shane expressed during his press conference when I asked him that question, which was Sterling Lucas, Jody Wright, they were in constant communication with Harper's camp, um, reaching out to his parents, reaching out to his coach, reaching out to Harbor. So I bring that up because, again, based on what Beamer said and based on the conversations I've had with people that are close to the program, what Beamer said at his press conference, it really was the God's honest truth based on the things that I've been told from people in the know that it was just a simple reharping. Hey, look, you come to South Carolina, you know what you're going to be getting yourself into, you know, the opportunities that could be out there from an NIL standpoint, right? Because of who you are from an elite athlete standpoint, and you're going to be around people that, you know, you want to be around. Harbor really liked his visits here at South Carolina. He really likes the relationships that he's built with people at USC. And he's going to continue to build the guys that are in his recruiting class, the guys like Dante Reno and some of the people that he's been able to meet in the class of 2024. I, I think it is so easy in turn, Joe. It is so freaking easy. And this is one of the stories that will be coming out on Gamecock Central shortly that I did today. It is so freaking easy to instantly assume when there is a five-star, especially outside of the South Carolina area, and he commits to a school like USC. And I say to a school like USC because let's just call it for what it is. They're not in the same class as an Alabama, as a Georgia, as an Ohio State right now. Okay, That is what you're striving to be. Okay, yep. So when you do things like this, naturally, people are just going to assume that they must th have thrown a huge bag of money at you. That's not the case. That's not the case. Now, I'd be naive to say that there might not have been an NIL opportunities for Harbor. Okay. I'd be naive to say that, but that wasn't the deciding factor. That was because if that was the case, if that was the case, some of the money that, that, that Phil Knight worth almost what $49 billion, that would have been, it would have been easy. It would have been real easy. So again, yeah. the, the, the RPM to give people an indication. Okay. It isn't, I mean, you're having conversations. Again, I'm not dealing with it. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not involved with it. But the reporters, whether it be South Carolina, whether it be, you know, the guys across on three, 
they're having conversations with their sources. Some of those sources, yeah, they can be on the coaching staff. Some of those sources are close to the program. Some of those sources could be a high school coach of that player. Some of those sources could be the family itself. I bring that up because it is really just the latest on the information at all, you know, programmed into an algorithm as well based on trends and stuff. And obviously on three hasn't been around that long. So it will only get more accurate over time, but that's how all that stuff is figured out. It's not just, you know, Johnny, Johnny bones in his parents' basement saying, Oh, you know what? I think South Carolina is going to go there. I mean, I feel like that's good. No, there's a lot of factors. And when you're being told things, you know, from as reporter, you're only as good as your source. You're only as good as your sources. So that is how the RPM kind of worked today to give people, not to give people a popsicle headache, but to give people kind of an idea of how that all went up and down and up and down, why it was changing, why it was leaning so much towards Oregon at one point. Um, It's a roller coaster, but you know what though, intern Joe, when you're in a position like South Carolina was today and your heart's beating a little bit, more than it usually does as a fan. That is a good thing. That means your program is starting to get to a point where you're having big boy recruiting battles. That's what today was. It was a big boy recruiting battle. And in the end, in the end, what South Carolina was selling to Harbor and his family, it prevailed. It's as simple as that. Yeah, Mike, and you're right. All big boy recruiting battles include NIL. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's what, yeah. I brought that up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. Shout out Boomer, the the newest addition to the Harbor family. Um, But yeah, no, you bring up the big boy recruiting battle and that's what Shane's talked about. That's what Wes, I believe Wes was talking about. He was the first game talk central person to bring it up. So credit Wes. Uh, All big boy recruiting battles nowadays involve NIL. And when you're playing against the stakes that are Phil Knight and Nike, who's worth Phil Knight's worth 42 point some odd billion dollars. Close to 49 intern, Joe. Don't sell them short, man. 48, whatever it is. Billions on billions on billions of dollars. It's going to be hard to compete. But Beamer talked about it today. You know, he he had a really good quote that, you know, NIL was never, never really brought up with this kid. And, you know, when, when he said that, it kind of, squashed all of the, the 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 late night thing and all the rumors with Nick's marketing guy and Phil Knight talking. And I mean, personally, if Phil Knight was trying to get me to come to school, golly, would it be hard to say no, mm-hmm. but that shows you what coach Beamer and, and, and Gamecock football is brewing on. Right. Nick talked about how the family aspect and, and, and Beamer talked about it at length today. And, and the dog comment proves that, you know, Nick is coming here to be a part of a family. Dollar signs don't mean anything. It is to be a part of the family. And I think, you know, on one end, it could have, you know, drawn Nick away a little bit too, that, you know, they only see him as a dollar sign. That could quite possibly be one of the issues. And and, and, and so I think, you know, being a family is, is one of the biggest things, um, you know, that, that Beamer is selling here. And I, I do want to shout out one of my guys, Q, he's, he's related to Jordan Birch and he had a really, really, really good take on, on their, on his podcast, the welcome home podcast. I believe it is. Um, he had a really, really interesting take on, on what it's like to go through, you know, the family aspect of things when, when your son, cousin, whatever is going out to Oregon. Cause it's, it's really, it's, you know, Birch went to Oregon and Nick was getting recruited by Oregon. So he provided a really good perspective on that and how hard it was for the family to see Jordan go out West and, 
you know, it, it was really good perspective because yeah, it's really, really hard on the family. And I think by Beamer with Beamer, where I'm going with this is Beamer selling it to be the family aspect and for Pup Howard and, and, and Big Tree, you know, really getting up, you know, on Nick about, you know, this is a family here and this is what we do here and, and, and the dog thing. It all ties together because, you know, being close to home too, that's, it's another big thing. And I think South Carolina was the, the family aspect, right? My, they weren't the NIL, they weren't Nike. And I think that, that probably, that played a big, big, uh, big portion of Nick's decision. It's like, these guys don't want me because, you know, I'm a Nike athlete or these guys don't want me. They don't see me as a dollar sign. They see me as part of the family. I think that's ultimately what this recruitment came down to. So Shout out to, to Beamer and shout out to Beamer's dog, Boomer, man. Boomer getting it done. <laughs> love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. Shout out, Boomer. I hope Shane's giving him plenty of treats tonight, man. He deserved it. And I do want to say this, because for those that don't know what the heck intern Joe's talking about, um, Beamer mentioned during his press conference today that he felt like Harbor's mother fell in love with the family dog. And... Um, you know, he made a joke. He's like, uh, I don't know how I'm, I'm going to explain to my kids, but, you know, it's kind of part of the deal that I have to give the dog to uh, Harbor's mother. Of course, that's not true. Um, I can't believe I have to say that, but there's actually been a lot of people actually asking if that's true. Um, I do want to say this, Scott, you know, that Boston side of you probably came out a little bit earlier uh, when I was busting your chops, but you've had some good comments here today. So we appreciate that. Um Intern Joe, I know you got to get going in a little bit. I'll keep it rolling if you can't stay on as long. I just got to go, go, go put some groceries in the freezer, man. I'll be, I'll be on. We got all night, Mike. We got all night. There's some. Yeah, don't tell my, don't tell my girlfriend that. Um, yeah. But I, I do wanna, I do wanna bring this up though. When you look at where South Carolina is as of right now, and again, I mean, being able to land Nick Harbor, I mean, it, it goes without saying. It goes without saying. But and I had this in some of the stories that we had on Gamecock Central. And I'm gonna pull it up from um, from when I was talking with him. I was talking with Marcus Lattimore earlier today, and Marcus sent me this talking about the impact of, of getting Nick Nicholas Harbor. And he said, quote, elite athletes from all across the country will start to take notice because of his commitment. Harbor will recruit and create a domino effect. His testimony is powerful, just like Elshon Jeffrey. Stephon Gilmore's was to my decision. That's what I hope people understand more than anything is that, again, yes, Nicholas Harbor, we expect him to come out here. We expect him to be a phenomenal athlete, both on the football field, both on the track, but it, it doesn't end right there. Like this isn't, that, that's not how the story just ends. It's not, okay, he comes here and then he has a great career. That's phenomenal. That's part of it. That's one of the chapters. And this isn't a, a slight at Nick, but I don't think that's the biggest part of it. I don't think that's the biggest part of it. I think what the biggest part of it is, is that Harbor has committed to a program that is still trying to get to that point where they are competing for divisional titles. And then obviously you keep growing from there. So again, South Carolina has took steps forward, especially in the last two years, you think back to where they were at the end of the 2020 season, had no head coach, finished the year at two and eight. You think back to the 2019 season, you combine those two years, six wins combined in 19 and 2020. So I bring all these things up because again, it wasn't that long ago that South Carolina, I don't want to say they were a laughing stock, but it was just an absolute train wreck. So the fact that Beamer has come in here in two years, and people can mention numbers like, oh, this is how many wins Muschamp had and this and that. 
I get it. At the end of the day, that is how you will be judged. Your wins and losses on Saturdays. I totally understand that. But it, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same 15 and 11 like it was after two years under Muschamp. It's not. South Carolina, again, like I mentioned, some of these numbers with recruits and blue chip players and just it, – it's just different. It's stuff. It's just different. It doesn't always have to be tangibles. It can be the intangible sometimes, the things that you don't see, that you can't touch. And I feel like anyone that has been in Columbia over the last two, three years in particular, but even if you're on the outside and you're paying attention to this, you can tell, you can sense there's just something different right now. There's something different. And I would have said that even if Harvard didn't commit to South Carolina today. But with his commitment, going back to what Marcus said, it's a testimony. It is huge. It is a statement. Even what Dante was saying, some of the, com- the, the, the conversations he's been having with other prospects that USC is currently looking at, it sends a message to the rest of the country that South Carolina, that Shane Beamer, that this coaching staff, that this program, they're changing things. They really are. Now it comes down to being able to get the production on the field to being able to translate that into wins because, look, this is all great. This is all great. You can have all the, the ingredients in the world to make this phenomenal cake, but at the end of the day, it's up to the cook to be able to make that cake taste good because if it tastes like crap, people can read BS. People can read BS. People can read when things aren't as great as they've been, okay? I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's going to be the case, and – I don't think this is what Robert's saying. I'll let you talk intern jokes. I know I'm rambling at this point, but it's it's not the difference between Harbor committing to South Carolina and GBG Jackson is in basketball. Yes, a player, one player can change things, but what South Carolina is going through right now, you need to have more talent on the court. As I've said before, and this isn't a slight against the team, it's just calling it for what it is. It's Gigi Jackson, it's Michi, and then it's a full of, you know, SoCon talent. That's just the reality of it, okay? If that's mean, get get used to it, okay? I'm coming back from Boston. We're, we're going to just call for how it is. That's just the reality of it. The difference, though, is Gigi is going to leave after one year, most likely, most likely. I mean, anything's possible, but very likely, I should say, is that he's going to leave after this season. Football you have to stick around at least, you know, two years. Now, again, obviously the transfer portal's out there and this and that, but the point being is you can build around it a little bit more, okay? Guys that want to go play with Harbor that might not be in this class, they might commit next year because they want to be part of that. Gigi Jackson, a kid that's in the class of 2024, he might not have that opportunity if Gigi's one and done. So, again, I'm bringing that up, though, in turn, Joe, because it's different. It's different. That's not downplaying the impact Gigi's commitment had on the program. It's just that when you look at where the basketball program is in comparison to football, it's tough to compare the two. Still a very big get. Still an important get, I think, in terms of sending a message of what Columbia can be. But with this for football, I don't think it's close. I don't think it's close. No, not close to Gigi quite yet, right? When, when If we do go about comparing them, and it is hard, really, because Lamont is in year zero of the rebuild, my first, I guess, 
idea of who a Gigi Jackson would kind of be. And again, less players on the floor. It's harder to compare. But I mean, in terms of significance, it would kind of be a pop Howard. But again, Gigi's going to be a one and done. So he's not going to stick around and be recruiting the whole time. But in, in terms of, I guess, importance, my mind, I guess, if you want to play that game is pop Howard. But yeah, like it, it, it does feel different around here. It really does. You know, I, I came to school here. Uh, at the start of, of the Muschamp era. And I saw somebody brought that up and it feels it's night and day difference ever since Shane got here. It, it's felt different. And now you're starting to see the fruits of, of the culture paying off, right? That's the biggest thing that, that this city and that this fan base has seen is like a culture shift with, within the building and it, it's paying off finally. And now that, you know, Nick, I talked about it earlier. Nick came because he wants to be a part of a family. And, and, and this is true testament to what this family can do. And I mean, just wait till they get back on, they get on the field that next fall, Mike, I think they're going to really, really turn some heads. They're turning heads in recruiting. And, you know, with the Dowell hire, I think Dowell's got, you know, he's got a chance to prove himself. And I think it's really, really big. Um, so I, it, it, it does feel different and, you know, it feels different because it is and the, the culture and that, that, that shows you what, you know, changing the culture can do, right? It starts mm-hmm. internally. Sometimes coaches go to a new school and they don't really change the culture. They kind of, you know, are there and they try to win football games first. And you can't really do that unless you have a culture. And the culture is the baseline, right? That's what you want to start to kind of build a long-lasting program and to kind of get it going. And that's what Shane realized from the jump is if you change the culture and be yourself, people will take notice and you can build on top of it. And build well, and he's build. had the blueprint. He's had the blueprint and it's it's exactly. – and it's one of those things that we say. You're both, right? It's it's one of those things that we say, but think about it, okay? Think about it. I mean, I'm. It, it's not the same, but I mean, we're talking about from personal experiences. I mean, I go from down here to up in Boston. I'm back here. There's certain things that I've been able to gain from being in a different place, okay? And it's not like I was gone for like years, but what I'm trying to get at is, you understand what things need to look like in order to be successful in whatever business world you're in. Doesn't have to be just football. Doesn't have to be media. It could be anything, right? You understand when success is there. Gamecock Central, and that's what I'm talking about. It's a very successful business. You go places. You come back. You try to build on it. So I'm bringing that up. Not the you know apples to apples, but what I'm trying to get at is Beamer was here when it was successful. Beamer yeah. understands what that blueprint looks like. Well, he goes somewhere else. Okay. Hops around, gains knowledge, gains experiences, things that you're not going to be able to do unless you venture out. He does that. He comes back here. He's better off for it. He's a better coach because of it. But on top of it all, the foundation that he needed and is continuing to build at South Carolina, it all goes back to that blueprint. It all goes back to those things that – he learned from Spurrier that he learned during his time at South Carolina, knowing, okay, this is the margin of error in terms of being successful or not being successful at South Carolina. So again, some of this might sound like we're beating a dead horse, but it's those little things. It's those little things that really make a difference. And I feel like because he has that knowledge, those attention to details at a place like South Carolina, I think we're starting to see it pay off in a big way, especially today in turn, Joe. Yeah, Mike, absolutely. And another thing I wanted to bring up too, before we get to big reds question, because I thought it was a really good one. Um, and I'll answer it too first, if you want me to, um, 
another thing that I think about when, when we talk about the foundation, right? Like, yes, he was here during the Spurrier days and yes, he got to see what works at South Carolina. And I, I mean, in terms of that, it's, it's in-state recruiting and boy, is he taken off on that? We've seen that, uh, but Harbor's not in-state. So we'll, we'll go. Um, but I mean, the thing that I think of in terms of like culture and foundation is learning from his father, right? Like Frank Beamer was beloved by everybody that ever interacted with him. He was such a good coach and such a beloved coach that I think that's where he kind of gets the gen, the yeah, the gen genuity of him, right? Like, you know, him being himself, he gets that a lot from his father because, you know, that's all Frank was at Virginia Tech was himself. Right. And I, he saw that Shane saw firsthand how that works and how that affects people because I mean, Frank Beamer will for, live on forever in Virginia Tech lore. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, Shane picked up on that when he was there as a kid and just being yourself and how far that goes, being your own true, genuine self, how far that goes and how that impacts people. I think that's huge. And to answer Big Red's question, man, I think absolutely. Like in terms of energy and everything and just kind of getting the startup for a program that had been dormant for, you know, a number of years. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I mean, I, I wasn't really around for Dabo's early years to really kind of see what what was going on with him and kind of see real close. But I mean, from from the national standpoint, from what I was seeing from Notre Dame, absolutely. You know, Dabo was a very young, energetic coach who was really good at recruiting at a very you know early age. So, I mean, I, I that's what I think, you know, about I mean, it's hard and I hate comparing South Carolina to Clemson. But, yeah, I think Dabo's a good, good good, good guy to look at in terms of like the early stages of it, Mike. I don't know what you think. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think the reason why some Gamecock fans don't like the comparison Dabo to Beamer is yeah. because the fact it is your rival school. Okay. It's your in-state rival school. I get it. Okay. I do think there are a lot of similarities though, between the two yeah. and whether you, you agree with what I'm about to say next is, you know, your prerogative. But I think the big thing with both of them are is the fact that they are both authentic. Now, here's the thing. You might not feel like Dabo's authentic. You might think he's corny, cheesy, whatever the case may be. Okay. I don't I don't know what how you know <laughs> I can assume what Gamecock fans think about him. Those aren't my words. But I think the thing with him is the way he is, because I've had conversations with people. I mean, I I still have my relationships with a lot of people over at Clemson from my time of covering them when I worked in TV here and they say literally what, what you see in front of the camera when he's doing all that stuff, that's just how he is behind the scene. So the point being is, you know, he's authentic. He's authentic to himself. And I think if there's anything that we can compare the two on is that the fact that Beamer is, you know, authentic to himself, what you see is what you get. I don't think it's a bad comparison. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Again, the big thing is the fact that it's your rival school. I understand. Um, Now, to take it another step, I wouldn't say that, you know, like Beamer's like Dabo Jr. No, okay? He's doing his own thing. He's doing his own thing. I wouldn't say if I'm trying to compare someone, I wouldn't instantly think, oh, yeah, you know, when I think of uh, Shane Beamer, I'm thinking of Dabo. No, Honestly, what I think of more than anything, what I think of anyone, you know, people bring up Lincoln Riley. I truly, and I know it's just really easy to say this. I think of Frank Beamer. I think of Frank Beamer. Frank Beamer was authentic. Frank Beamer, what you saw was what you got. 
the goofy videos of him dancing in the law. You just don't, you didn't see it as much. Or maybe there's people that just, you know, unless you were in that area, because obviously social media has changed things. Maybe you didn't see it as much. That's who he is. That's who he is. He's a carbon cutout of his father. And that's not a bad thing at all, especially the success that Frank Beamer had at Virginia Tech. So I bring that out. I bring that up because, again, with what Shane is doing over here, and you want another comparison, always uh, makes clumps in people's heads explode. Uh, Dabble Sweeney was 15 and 11 through his first two years as head coach at Clemson. All right. So I, I bring those things up because, you know, and that's a that's a fun conversation. That's more of a fun debate. You know, comparing Beamer's first two years at South Carolina compared to Dabble's first two years. Just if you like, you know, conversation. Just like if you like conversation. Um, that'd be a fun one to do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously Dabble has accomplished a lot at Clemson, um, regardless of the conference they play in, regardless of the skill, regardless of all that stuff. At the end of the day, Dabo has done an outstanding job at Clemson. Outstanding job. Um, what Shane's trying to do right here, he's trying to put the program in position to say the same things. And we obviously know how difficult that is in the SEC. Okay? We understand that. We understand that it's not going to be an easy task. It's going to be even more difficult in the next couple of years once Oklahoma and Texas enter into the SEC. So we bring these things up. Just because, look, there's still a long ways to go, long ways to go before this program is at a level of what Clemson has been able to do over the last couple of years with Georgia or Alabama, whatever the case may be. Insert this team here. Insert the team name here. But again, when you're talking about the foundation, it's really strong right now. It's really strong. And it, look, you got to get those wins, as we mentioned but that foundation in turn, Joe, boy, is it looking strong right now. And I think a lot of that goes back to what the original question was. It's because Shane is being Shane. He's authentic. Again, Dabo is authentic to himself. You might not like it. And as we're seeing here with Shane Beamer, if you're not from this area, not saying that everyone feels this way, but there's a lot of people outside that don't like it. Yeah. You know, so that that's, that's what I would say about that. Absolutely. I like Charlie's comment here because – uh, Shane brought it up too in his pressers. It says, you know, Beamer's born in Charleston and this has been his dream job. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing from him, right? We're seeing that, you know, he is living out his dream. And that's kind of the energy that I'm getting from him is that, like, this is a guy that is in his dream job and is doing everything he can to keep it and just having fun in it, right? So that's, that's kind of what I'm getting. And, and it shows you too. You're right about Dabo. I will say that, like, he is being himself, although it's, it's a little goofy and a little Disney-like, you know, um, people don't necessarily like it. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, too, with Beamer, you know, you saw what Coach Stoops said about him. So he rubs – it can definitely rub people the wrong way if you don't necessarily get what he's trying to do and understand the kind of the background. And, and like Charlie's comment says, you know, this is his dream job, plain and simple. And this is where he wants to be. This is what he wants to be doing is bringing a program. You know, and I think, you know, Mike, we've talked about it over and over and over again. I think it, it starts with the culture, right? It really does. That's the foundation of everything that he's trying to build, everything that you need to build at an SEC program. And that's what Saban did when he, you know, took over at Bama. Is, and now I'm not, I'm not quite comparing South Carolina to Bama quite yet. But, I mean, I tell you what, like, that is – it's just – it's the bare necessities. You have to change the culture. And the only way you can do that is by being yourself. 
and Shane Beamer is doing that. And I think that's what should give fans hope and find some joy for sure. Like that, that line is so perfect because, you know, as the, the momentum builds, it's, it's getting easier and easier to find some joy. And I mean, Mike, I think, the, I guess the tipping point, if you will, is, is beating Clemson. Landing a guy like Pup Howard and then beating Clemson, you know, it, it, beating Clemson is, is the first step, if you will. Um, I mean, you can even argue the Duke's Mayo Bowl, too, as, as a positive note to kind of get things rolling. But I think this last year, uh, the two wins that you had to finish the season where nobody thought you had a chance in either of those two games. I think that's huge, right? I think that is huge, and that shows what changing the culture can do. And you also saw how many guys stuck around when the regime, when the head coaching, you know, change happened. What Beamer was selling to the guys that were already here, the athletes that stayed, I think that's that's huge. There were more guys than you would ever think that stayed stuck around um, when, when there is a regime change. So culture, culture, culture. I mean, South Carolina fans have heard all about it, and they're going to keep hearing about it because it, it, it is what makes the difference here. And especially with – I don't want to say South Carolina is a smaller market school, but considering how the last couple of years have gone, they're not we're not exactly Georgia in terms of like ESPN level, you know, national level coverage. So I think it, it, it starts with that and landing guys – that like five-star guys and, and improving your recruiting class and making splashes like that and having Nick Harbor commit to your team on ESPNU on National Signing Day, it doesn't really get any better than that. So it just keeps building and building and building and the momentum just keeps going and going. And Mike, I, I mean, personally, I don't see an end in sight right now unless, you know, somehow this fall they decide to, you know, get four or five wins, which – I, I mean, with the roster that they have right now, it doesn't seem possible, but I, I don't know, man. I, I really don't see a momentum stopper in sight right now. Um, it's, I, I want to hit on something. I do want to hit on something because happy, 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 and good to have you in tonight. Happy, happy, happy. Saying that you feel sorry for the guys who left. They're missing out on being part of something big. I've been thinking a lot about this today because I don't think it's one thing that's really been brought up a lot. And maybe it's it's one of those things that I find very interesting. I don't know if anyone else does. So you have Nicholas Harbor, right? And it comes down essentially between South Carolina and Oregon. Well, what happened a couple months ago? We're not even a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. You have Jordan Birch, a Columbia kid. A Columbia kid leaves South Carolina to go to Oregon. Now, there's obviously been reports out there. NIL played a big role in that as to why he left and why he went to Eugene. But I bring that up because how easy, how easy could it have been for Nicholas Harbor to look at that and say, you know what, man, he must be leaving there. Something must be wrong with South Carolina. And he just ends up going to Oregon wasn't the case that wasn't the case when guys like Birch when guys like Marshawn Lloyd when there were other players Jaheim Bell, when players were leaving South Carolina it was really easy really easy for a lot of people to start wondering what's going on at South Carolina what's going on at South Carolina are there internal problems do people want to play for Shane Beamer do people want to play for certain positional coaches what's the problem over there and as I've said it, as some of my colleagues have said it, you have to look at all those cases, case by case, case by case. 
Because again, you look at what happened today. A player had the opportunity to either go to Oregon or South Carolina. And a player had just left South Carolina, a former five-star at that, a guy that grew up in the area right down the street. And he went out to Oregon. What does that say about what's going on at South Carolina? It's really going on at South Carolina. What that says is those three individuals I brought up, and obviously there were other players, Austin Stogner, and he explained when he left South Carolina that he just wanted to be closer to home. Okay, Everything has to be viewed case by case, case by case. Now, if there's something that happens at South Carolina where it was just absolutely, you know, obvious, right? That Shane Beamer does something, it's dumb, whatever the case may be. Yeah, it's easy to look at that. But that's not the case. That's not the case. Um, I just think, again, and it's not, to, you know, to, to, to say, you know, what Birch did is right or what's wrong. Players are going to do what they feel like is in the best interest for themselves. Okay. They're going to do what is in the best interest for themselves. And as intern Joe gets back, kind of just to let you know what we were talking about here, what I was trying to hit on is how easy, how easy it could have been for Harbor to look at Birch's situation, leaving South Carolina, goes to Oregon and say, man, something has to be wrong at South Carolina. Because there were a lot of people I felt like that were saying that or assuming that when guys were leaving, starters were leaving. But that's not the case. You have to look at it case by case. Case by case. And I don't want to sit here playing this game, and I'm sure fans will do it. You know, who would you rather have, Harbor or Jordan Birch? You know, like, you know, again, everything plays out the way that it's supposed to. Trust what Beamer's doing. Trust what this coaching staff is doing. When, you know, when, when crap hits the fan, yeah, be frustrated. Call them out. It's part of it. It's part of it. They understand. They un- I was talking to Beamer today. Because we were talking and he was asking me about how, you know, things were covering the Patriots and all that. And and I was saying to him, I said, you know, when things are going well, everyone's going to kiss your ass. Everyone's going to tell you how great you are. Right. And as soon as uh, things hit the fan. Right. That's when everyone's going to get all pissed off because we we're talking about the, the Patriots with their offense this year. So I bring all that up because he understands it. And the SEC, I mean, that's. I understand college football is the, 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 the level below the NFL, but really the SEC is kind of like a farm system at this point for the NFL. He understands the pressure of being in this conference. He understands all of that. He understands that when things don't go well, if you sneeze the wrong way, there's going to be someone that's you know not happy about it. That's the reality of it. It's okay to do, but that doesn't mean – that doesn't mean if a guy transfers out, it doesn't mean that, oh, my goodness, what's going on at South Carolina? Three player, oh, four, oh, my goodness. No. It's happening everywhere in the SEC. It's happening everywhere guys are transferring out. Case by case. It's a case by case deal at South Carolina. And as we saw today, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks in turn, Joe, they have brought in some very, very, very talented players. Not just Nicholas Harbor, not just Elijah Caldwell today. They've brought in some very talented players over the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, Mike, absolutely. And <laughs> it was funny. I don't know if you saw the, the picture of Birch at the top of the student section and then Nick right in the middle of the Oregon basketball student section when Nick was on his visit. But yeah, I mean, I, th I think Oregon was making a big play to that. I mean, I, I think they'd be stupid if they didn't play to, you know, the Birch aspect of, yeah, he left, you know, come, come, come to us. But, you know, and don't get me wrong. I, Jordan Birch did a lot of good things for South Carolina football. I'm a big fan of his game. I really hope he does well. Um, but I know Oregon was playing into that narrative for sure. I mean, you'd be stupid not to, but you're right, Mike, case by case, my friend, case by case. And two, like, I mean, Birch is doing what's best for him. And that's exactly what Nick Harbour is doing by going to South Carolina, right? It doesn't, it's no slight on any, you know, school or whatever. You know, these guys are doing what is best for themselves. So it's not like Jordan Birch said, you know, hey, they mistreated me here. And like, you know, it was horrible and it was the worst place ever. No. Jordan Birch went to Oregon because he felt it was best for him. And that's exactly what Nick Harbour is doing today. It, that's all it really comes down to is what, what, right, Mike, I mean, case by case, it is literally what guys think, you know, will be the best thing for them. And, you know, I think the family aspect, like Nick wanted to be in a family aspect. He wanted to be a part of a family and be a part of the culture that Beamer is building because yeah, like it's freaking toxic, man. It is like, it, you know, it's, it's contagious. Sorry, not toxic. I messed up my words here. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, it's contagious, man. It's the same thing as like happiness is contagious. Yeah. I mean, you've covered this team, Mike, since the beginning of the Beamer era. You can feel it just coming off of them and in, in, in pressers and and even like post-game interviews, anything, man. You can get the, the, the sense of culture and you feel like you're a part of it covering the team and the fans feel like they're a part of it. I think it's huge. And you're right, case by case between Birch and, 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 uh, and Harbor. And I think, you know, I wish Birch the best. I know a lot of South Carolina fans aren't aren't going to like me for that comment, but you know, I, I really do. I mean, Birch put in his time here. He did, did really well for, you know, the university, yeah. even though his recruitment was a little, you know, shady and shadowy and came from, from that other guy, uh, you know, Birch did his thing last year. Didn't <laughs> the other last... guy, no respect for Will Muschamp. Okay, come, come on, come on. What was a good, he was a good person. He, he can at least get his name said. Um, I apologize. But <laughs> Coach either way, either way. Um, Patrick says, who would you rather have Harbor Bell? Well, I mean, you know, and I, I know this is semantics here, but I do think you got to break it down. Would you rather have a guy that has more years of eligibility remain? I mean, you know, you could. So with that being said, let's just say for one year, would you rather have Jaheim Bell going into this next year? Or would you have Nicholas Harbor going into this next year? I like the potential for Nicholas Harbor. I think he brings a lot to the table. Um, I do think, I do think if Florida State can find a way to utilize Jaheim, I think he's going to be talented. I know that there was a lot of people when he left USC, how quickly things changed, how quickly things, and I understand it. I understand the frustration, but how quickly things changed from going into the season of, oh my God, Jaheim Bell's going to be doing this and this, could be a first-round draft pick too. As soon as he was leaving, it was just like, oh, what a bum. you know. And maybe bum was a little too strong of a word. I don't know if people said exactly that, but oh, overrated. you know. So I bring that up because I think Jaheim Bell is still a very, very talented player. We see and have seen at South Carolina when he was utilized and the ball was given to him, the production that he can have, I still think he can be a very, very talented NFL player. I do believe, though, when you look at Harbor, outside of everything that he can accomplish from a track and field standpoint, I do believe Harbor, um, between what he can do from a defensive standpoint, if asked, if called upon, 
Um, that makes him, in my opinion, at least going into the situation, more valuable. But I also think that with his speed, if they utilize him, and he's going to be in a situation where they have a new offensive coordinator. And Dal Loggins isn't stupid. Um, someone's going to cut this soundbite if things don't go well offensively, like game <laughs> one, two, or three. But Dal Loggins isn't stupid. He knows what he's walking into. He knows what he's getting himself into at South Carolina because, look, the last guy that was here and Marcus Satterfield, he called some great games at the end of the year. Give him his give him his flowers, okay? He called some great games at the end of the year. The consistency wasn't there. But I bring all this up because he understands that there's a lot of people that are going to be looking at him, meaning Dal Loggins, they're going to be looking at Dal with a magnifying glass, and he's going to be thrown into that pressure. And they're going to be looking, meaning the outside, the media, the boosters, the fans, and they're going to be judging him not just on what he does as an offensive coordinator and as a play caller, but based on what happened before him. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on him, and I think he's going to find ways to get things rolling. Um, Intern Joe, we'll wrap things up here. I want to say one more thing. One more thing, though, because it should not be – You have a couple couple things, too? I do have have one more thing on Nick Harvey. Intern Joe, you go. Intern Joe, you go. I'll do this and then, then I'll close. Give me a little, yeah. But the coolest thing I think personally about Nick Harbour is his potential to be an Olympian. Like, think about that, right? Like a guy who goes to the University of South Carolina could be competing in the Olympics next summer. Like that is awesome. And think about, I mean, <laughs> the branding, right? Like the University of South Carolina is going to be on a national stage if he qualifies and so far so good. Like, and I mean, what Coach Fry is going to do with him, he talked about, you know, a little bit of his, development coming up and like you know maturing and getting off the the starts and we'll see coming up uh you know I think Harbor's going to New York to compete against some of the pros so we'll see there but I think it's just so cool that he has the the talent number one to compete in the Olympics and number two to be able to go do it like I don't know as growing up you know in the north and everything and just as an American I've always loved the Olympics and to see a guy like that who can you know play SEC football the highest level of college football there is and then to go, you know, compete with some of the best athletes in the world. I think that's so cool. And one of the best, one of my favorite things about it, Mike, I just, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to get that out. It's maybe so it's cool. Maybe it's just me. I mean, the Olympics, it, it doesn't move the needle for me like it, it, it used to. And maybe yeah. it's just because we have the ability to see everything so quickly. And I yeah. do think that, you know, we talk about it with Bo Jackson, um, would Bo Jackson be as appreciated in this era? with social media and being able to see everything that he did. I think that's kind of how it's, you know, it's made us not as attached. And I say us, probably people that just don't follow it as closely. So I bring that up to say that I think it will bring an interest level to people that might not be the biggest Olympic people. I mean, I like following, I like following Usain Bolt. When there's certain like players, there's certain athletes. I liked following that Michael Phelps, right? things that he was able to do. I enjoy watching the Olympics for hockey, the winter Olympics. Um, This will certainly, this will certainly bring that attention um, and the excitement up. And I don't even think you have to necessarily be a Gamecock fan. I think from just an Olympic standpoint, if you're a football fan and you watch this young man, right, you could be a Tennessee fan. You could be a Georgia fan. You see what he does in the field. And then he's able to go out there. Okay. And this is obviously the next couple of years if he's able to qualify and be an Olympian. I think it just brings more eyeballs because, again, there might be people that aren't necessarily Gamecock fans or not necessarily 
Olympic fans or track and field, whatever the case may be, but because they're football fans, you gain a different audience. It's kind of like, you know, Saturday Night Live when they have different guest hosts. You might not be a fan of Saturday Night Live um, or you might not tune in all the time. But because you see I'm making this up, Dave Chappelle hosting, you might want to tune in that night. Yep. You know, so that's where I would compare it to, to that. And as Lynn brought, has brought up, yeah, they've had some it's tremendous true. female track and athlete um, Olympians as well. I mean, it's just there's there's a lot of talent in the state of South Carolina, either from here or that go through the university. This is what I want to bring up. And I'm glad you, you brought up the track and field. Mm-hmm. OK, as I've said before, and this is where I want to end it on. Curtis Fry, legend. And I think a lot of people understand that, okay? They understand Curtis Fry and the impact he's had um, at South Carolina, right? A couple of things I want to bring up about Curtis Fry. Mm -hmm. Curtis Fry... Curtis Fry was the very first African-American head coach any sport hired at South Carolina. He was the first to win a national championship too. Okay. Um, in, in 20, uh, Curtis Fry, first African-American head coach at USC in the 2002, he was the first to win a national championship. That alone, historic. Throw on the fact of some of the things we've talked about. He's coached 28 Olympians has coached 14 of those 28 have gone on to win medals in the Olympic games. I said, I I say all this because people that have been following South Carolina that are from this area, they understand the impact Curtis Fry has had on the community and at USC as, as a whole, but what's going to happen. And I'm so damn happy for him. And he mentioned it. He's not stupid. He's not naive. There's going to be more people this year, kind of like a Tebow effect, if you will, with the freaking fireflies, right? There's going to be more people covering track and field when Nicholas Harbor is there than there has been in quite some time. ESPN very likely will be coming out more than they have in recent years. So I say that because, number one, I'm very happy, very happy for South Carolina's track and field program because it's going to bring more exposure and as he mentioned as I when I asked him about the facilities because they've done a great job of giving a facelift Ray Tanner and the athletic department have done a great job with investing into the track and field program as Curtis Fry mentioned he's like you know there's gonna be more eyeballs here you're gonna have to put some more lipstick on you know the bill you're gonna see upgrades because of the impact if there's more people around they're gonna want to make that program they're gonna want to make those facilities look even better look even better. So I'm very happy for the student athletes that are part of the track and field program, but I'm very happy for Curtis Fry because again, in the track and field community, people know how legendary he is. People that have been at USC, people that are from this area, they understand how legendary he is, but it's really, really going to put his name out there more. Never mind how that's going to impact with recruiting, which is obviously it goes without saying, but I'm just glad and happy for him because he deserves that. He deserves everything, and he's done it first class since day one. Yeah, Mike, absolutely. I've gotten to know Coach Fry from my time at the Daily Gamecock. I wrote a story about you know the importance of him in this university 
um, in honor of Black History Month last year. And Coach Fry was a wonderful, wonderful interview. He's a fantastic person. He has reached out before to congratulate me on getting the Gamecock Central job. And I've, I've reached out to him to interview him for other stories and whatever. Just a fantastic human. And he talked about it in his presser, too. He said, you know, I was thinking about retiring. But then, you know, Coach Beamer brought this guy this <laughs> to me. And he's a generational talent, an absolute generational talent. That, those are my words or Coach Fry's words. And I think, you know, it, it, he said it shot some life in him when, when, when Nick committed. And so I think, you know, I feel so great for Coach Fry, honestly, because he, he, he deserves this, right? He has put so much effort into this university, and he's such a good man. And I think Nick, you know, being able to run track, you know, gives him something to look forward to and build on top of. And, and you know, I think it's huge for this track and field program, and it's going to give Coach Fry a, a – a happy send off, if you will, because I would assume he will finish up his tenure after Nick is done. Like, I, I just, it couldn't have happened to a better person, Mike, because Curtis Fry is the example of everything South Carolina sports should be. And he's just fantastic human. Couldn't have happened to a better person, Coach Fry, man. He, he's the man. And I, I'm really happy for him. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you said that in turn, Joe. I've had the chance to, to get to know Curtis over the last couple of years. And, just like I said, just an outstanding human being. The knowledge he has in track and field, it is truly second to none. I mean, he also trained Michael Jordan back in the day for crying out loud, you know, when it came to developing his speed. I mean, that just goes to show the impact he's had, not just on track and field athletes and some of the other athletes that have gone through South Carolina, but some of the athletes that didn't go to South Carolina, some of the athletes that weren't part of track and field. So, um, Big get for football, but a very big get um, for um, big get for um, Curtis Fry as well. Um, we'll wrap it up with this. Scott says, "What does Beamer success do for Tanner? Carolina seems to have women's basketball, football, tennis, and hockey succeeding. Uh, track and field should be so." And, and Scott, you may already know this, but just for those people that don't know, um, hockey, unfortunately, it's not a NCAA sport. So Tanner really doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, but shout out to club hockey. Club hockey's doing a great job. Club, club across too. give them a shout out. Um, I, I think I, I will say this about Ray Tanner. He's in a position where, especially because of his success as a baseball coach, which will live on forever. I mean, it, that what he does as an athletic director in my opinion, will never change what he, he did as a coach. Um, you see it in professional sports all the time, right? I mean, Danny Age, phenomenal basketball player for the Celtics, numbers retired. He's over there towards the end of his tenure. Things started to go south, okay? And fans weren't happy with him. But that doesn't take away the fact that he's one of the greatest Celtics to ever play. So I say that because with Tanner, that number is going to always be in the outfield, right? His number is always going to be retired. Um, or Jersey, whatever the heck they, they call it at South Carolina. Um, but I bring that up because I feel like, yes, there's plenty of things that you can look at and say, okay, you know, he's dropped the ball here, or, you know, he's could have done a better job with this, or, you know, that's part of it. That's part of it. Um, but there are a lot of things that he's done good. Um, and whenever his time is up as an athletic director at South Carolina, I think USC is going to be in a very good position when you talk about some of those programs that you mentioned, football, women's basketball, um, tennis. I mean, you go th down the list, 
that whoever that next athletic director is going to be, they're going to be in a good situation because of some of the things that Ray Tanner was able to figure out. Now, are there some issues still with some other sports? No question about it. But again, I mean, if that was the case, if everything was going to be sunshine and rainbows across the board, I mean, shoot, uh, no coaches would ever get fired in college sports. If that was the case, it's not as simple as that. Uh, So when you look at just some of the success USC has had, we talked about with Curtis Fry. I mean, that's, that's a position that he's held for what 20 something years, you know, I mean, that's another position that gets overlooked is being able to provide the facilities to help coaches like that. So they can, they want to stay Curtis Fry. I mean, Goodness, if he wanted to go anywhere else, he could, really, over the last couple. He could, where the heck he wants. He's that talented of a coach. You need to give him a reason to stick around. So I think it's a part of it. I think it's a part of it. Um, intern Joe, always a pleasure, buddy. Absolutely. Everyone that tuned in tonight, we had a very big audience tonight. Appreciate everyone, everyone Absolutely. that tuned in today. If you missed any of our program, any of our program, head on back to our YouTube page, Gamecock Central. If you're not a subscriber already, sign up. It's free. Hit the little bell icon. So anytime that we do a GC live show, not just with us, but Wes, Chris, Colin Taylor, you guys do a basketball show on Sundays. You can listen to the hard foul foul on Sundays with intern Joe, Chris Welbon, who does an outstanding job covering women's basketball, as well as Colin Taylor. Follow along, okay? Gamecock Central, it's only getting bigger and better, okay? More video, more written content. It's, I promise you, it's only getting bigger and better. Um, So be sure to head on over to Gamecock Central's YouTube page, and we'll also have this on Gamecock Central's podcast as well. And if you want to listen to my voice tomorrow, which if you do, God bless you, uh, I'll be in studio with with Jay Phillips and the 107.5 game. Uh, five the game game can't even say that five the game game um should pick a different word there so i'll be on with them in the afternoon around one o'clock i'm sure there'll be plenty to still talk about from this today and uh, i'm sure we'll look ahead to the future intern joe appreciate you go get yourself a beer buddy okay yeah sure absolutely we'll be back next tuesday we'll get back into the swing of things with uh talking tuesday nights obviously this was a special National Signing Day edition. Everyone have yourself a good Wednesday night, and we'll see you in less than a week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.